constant growing of things unknown, drawing from the endless reaches of time. J- Jason. Jason. Yeah. Jason. Synesthesia to me is uh, it's a true definition of the mixing of the senses. What makes synesthesia exciting? It takes us all the way from just the mingling of the senses, all the way to metaphors or even transcending the senses, where you are, are no longer constrained by the tyranny of individual sense impressions. Jason, what are you talking about? <laughs> Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Mikhailich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the Everything all right? Yeah, Amazon had dropped off a bunch of packages at my neighbor's house. So they were like, come get your stuff. <laughs> uh, um. Um, I think that Tarantino should have continued to not direct movies. In general, yes. I agree with that as well. How are you doing? I am normal. You pulling things off of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yesterday I, f- I finished the thing I was doing yesterday, which is uh, taking the carburetors off of a bike and cleaning them and putting them back on. And now mm-hmm. I am taking the uh, the electric starter system off of a different bike <laughs> to put on that first bike, no, or just to take no, it off to make it hopefully work and then put it back. I have. I own okay. three vehicles right now, Jason. Uh, two motorcycles and a moped. And as as of yesterday, none of them was running. Now one of them is. But 
So you own one vehicle. Well, yeah, see, that's the thing is that... If a thing is defined by its actions... By its ability to, to uh, circumlocate. You own it. two other objects that are shaped like Yeah, vehicles. only one contains the power of motility. It's the... I... My goal is to, because everything I uh, own in life is garbage, partially uh, b- because I'm uh, cheap and partially b- because I have dumb aesthetic tastes, uh, I, I try to make sure at least two things are, are running to some degree at any given time, because one of them is definitely always going to break, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So my goal is to have at least two of them mostly functioning. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. I'm going to I'm gonna needle drop in I love trash during that last little bit. <laughs> I do love trash. I, I, oh, you know what? I didn't, I almost, we, so when I finished my master's degree, thanks, Jason, uh, I, um, I. <laughs> Wait, why did you thank me? <laughs> oh, just, uh, for your congratulations on my having a master's. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> I thought you were sarcastically thanking me for your masters, as if I was somehow responsible for it in a negative fashion. <laughs> for making me get it. Um, yeah, I was like well, a passive-aggressive thanks. <laughs> to be fair, I did live in your attic before I got it, and then you moved to Boston to get your degree, so I had to go. I you don't have an attic in Boston. I had to find a, a new home, and it was at a master's degree out here. But uh, we have a crawl space attic now, but it's full of insulation. That's fine. That would keep me toasty. <laughs> no, like literally, like he sprayed insulation oh, oh, into comp- every, all of the space that was an attic, ah, so that it can't get full of raccoons. Exactly. Mm, I see. Uh, I, I forgot what story I was going to tell you. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I talked about I Love Trash. Oh, I had to write a report. You were going to... For my thesis. I I made a film, and then I had to also write a report, which is a thing they've since done away with, because now they are beginning to recognize a film as a standalone text. But when I went there, they didn't. (laughs) Uh, Which is stupid. It's nice of them to do that in 2019. Yeah, right? Um, Which I was obviously mad about and thought was stupid. So mine... I mean, my... My master's report, you can find it online if you try, is it's like a little bit of me writing about my project and then a lot of like, just like, here's some things I like. Here's a thought I had about grout. Um, but I <laughs> I opened it with, I was going to do a, a quote from I Love Trash, but I ended up using the Robin Gibb disco version off of Sesame Night Fever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I do feel like I do feel like I love trash is sort of going to be a. I mean, it's a defining uh, a defining piece of literature. I think for oh for yeah. sure. I also I think I have Sesame Night Fever somewhere. Yeah, here. no doubt. Like on vinyl, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I also have a, a, a just a fun collection of disco versions of movie themes. Oh, that sounds great. From the seventies. <laughs> Or, like, late 60s, early 70s, so it's, like, Disco 2001. Oh, yeah. Disco Superman. Okay. It's pretty good. Disco Superman sounds like just a normal disco song, you know? Like, it would be a song about how how good someone is at disco. Or it just sounds like the guy running a disco night. It's like, hey, it's Disco Superman. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's your DJ. Love to love you, baby. (laughs) Um, I should start wearing 3D glasses. Yeah, it's a good look. Yeah, it obviously is. Yeah. <laughs> Square white paper frames. Love them. Just permanently damaging your eyes' ability yeah. to perceive color. Yeah, yeah. 
Maybe it would benefit you eventually to train your one eye to only see shades of blue and one eye to only see shades of red. Oh, if we were still in a world where you could get, like, a small amount of money to make a dumb exploitation movie... Mm, I wish. That would totally be one that we would pitch. Oh. As somebody who wears his 3D glasses for so long that he his eyes become permanently 3D. Yeah, and he can see things that uh, other And then we can. just, like devise scenarios where he has to like close one eye or close the other eye to see the whole frame turns either red or blue yeah yeah i did i ever tell you so when i was finishing up my graduate degree they were introducing a 3d program there um and they had one guy was doing he made it's like a 35 minute long science fiction movie all in super high-end 3d on really fancy sets Uh, they spent a ton of money on it him and the school and uh it's, you know, interesting to look at. But, but, I, but I I was like, hey, guy in charge of the 3D program, could I also get some support from the school if I was going to make my movie in 3D? Uh, because I am, if nothing else, a shyster. And uh, and he was like, potentially, yeah. Uh, give me some pitches. And I was like, okay, let me think on it. And then I went, and, but so for me, a big thing, I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this or will in great depth at some point, but a big thing for me is sort of format specificity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, if you're shooting on film, why? What does it do? If you're shooting on video, why? What can you do with video that film doesn't do? And yeah. so for me, I was like, if I'm going to make a 3D movie, it's not just going to be a stupid movie that happens to be in 3D. Um, so I came up with this pitch for a monster movie where there's a town of people and a monster invades, but the monster is only in the right channel, so you and the audience can only see it in your right eye, and everyone in the town has an eye patch on their right eye, so none of them can see it. So it's functionally invisible. Uh, And the guy in charge of the 3D program was like, no. (laughs) He said it would hurt people's eyeballs. Which is a bummer. I think it's a good idea. It probably would hurt people's eyeballs, but they deserve it for going to a 3D movie. <laughs> I still stand behind that. If anyone ever wants to fund that film, even as a short film, I'll make it. Oh, yeah. $10,000. It would also be fun to do things where you, like, move the monster from channel to channel. Oh, yeah. Like, Not in that film, but, like, in a different It could be in that movie, conception. too. It could kind of jump around. And so sometimes when it's in the left channel, people can see it and they freak out. That's actually a really nice bit. Yeah. And then you, like, you see it's, why It's blinking from dimension to dimension. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, like, shifts around. That's nice, because yeah. then like, it's, you know, it's like, literally like when, a two-dimensional <laughs> monster in a three-dimensional world. Yeah, like when, when rock bands discovered split stereo recording. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, put the guitar on the left, wait, now it's on the right. Yeah. There, I keep my iPod, which is an iPhone 4, on shuffle in my pocket when I'm driving around, and there are some songs that come on once in a while. It'll be like something that Joe Meek produced or something, you know, where it'll start <laughs> yeah. in just one ear, and I'm like, my headphones are broken, and then it's like, brap, 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 <laughs> left and right, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 just, just weirdos <laughs> in the 60s. <laughs> Um, for a long time when I was a kid, well, not that long, but for a, a reasonable amount of time, instead of a pair of headphones, I had, uh, this is before earbuds were a thing, but I had like an earpiece uh-huh. from like a, like a walkie talkie set or something, uh-huh. but it was like a single earpiece. Yeah. So it was a mono device. Yeah. And so I, when I would listen to music every now and then, I'd be listening to something. I'd be like, why does this sound so weird? And it's because <laughs> I was only getting the right channel. That's so funny. And like, you know, John Lennon's voice is really far in the background <laughs> to a bunch of drums. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. More people should mess with things like that. Agreed. Uh, you know, it's the it's the Andy Kaufman making the TV role. Like, if you have uh, 
if you have something you can do to the image, then at then, some point in time you should yeah, do it. Yeah, it's your obligation to do it. You should experiment with it and see what you can get out of it. I also have this idea that's sitting on the back burner because I don't have a good use for it right now. I have, or because I have other things I'm pushing harder. But I would love to make a monster movie that is distributed in 60 or 120 frames per second, but everything is shot at 24 except the creature so that so that everything looks normal but the monster is super like slimy and weird yeah um i don't know why no one's doing that i think it's great because everyone's a coward sure no it's because it's because things like that to most people look wrong well that's the idea looking wrong (laughs) yeah that's why nobody wants a monster movie People are, I guess it is because they're cowards, because people are afraid that uh, something will be read as a mistake. Oh, right, yeah, whatever. You know, which you obviously have no fear of. It's true. (laughs) And you help me suppress my fear of it, for which I thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Mistakes are Um, just, uh, you know, just part of the process. For any length of time, we will eventually have to do an episode devoted solely to the sausages sketch. Oh, yeah. From the kids in the hall. A hundred percent. I, um, I routinely, if I'm purchasing or in a space where I'm eating sausages, will, will say, sausages! And I think, I think you and my sister are the only person who have any appreciation for that in my life. My, no one my, else, my, everyone else is life. like, eh. <laughs> My life is a constant stream of me involuntarily saying things and then immediately regretting that you're not nearby because to everyone else, I just sound like a lunatic. Yeah, they're just like, oh, there's, I guess that guy. You're like, no, this is a good joke that came out of my face. Unstop. (laughs) I don't even know if it's good, but... It's a joke. Uh... I never saw the Jamie Foxx one. Oh, Django Unchained? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was not thrilled by it. As with all of them, there's, you know, scenes that are great. Sure. And then a lot of stuff that you're like, shut up. I don't know that all of them have scenes I think are great. Mm. I don't think there was a single moment in Hateful Eight that I was happy. Oh, really? I liked yes. the first half pretty well. Really? Yeah. I was like, oh, this is, this is like... Have you watched all the everything... he was ripping off? No. Well, no, there you not go. Not all of them. But I just, I mean, but I do just go in and assume that's what's happening. Like, well, at, at no, this point, he is basically just a Yeah, yeah, and, a but I don't mean that in an intellectual you know? way. I mean it in a way where, like, I think if I watched the, um, what's the Nazi one? Inglorious Bastards. I think if I watched Inglorious Bastards and I had never seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, then when uh, Christoph Waltz was eating that guy's soup, I would have been like, I'm sure he's stealing this from somewhere, but it's such a good moment. But instead, I was like, I liked this better when Lee Van Cleef did it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's how I felt for all of the parts that maybe could have been good, I think, in Hateful Eight, where I was like, oh, if only I were at home watching The Great Silence by Sergio Aragones. Not Aragones. He's the Mad Magazine guy. Sergio, what's his name? <laughs> Do you Silence. need a minute? No, I'm okay. I just carry okay. a bunch of boxes. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> you're, you're breathing very heavily. <laughs> um, no, I and I, I totally... There are 
there are Tarantino moments that are that for me, where I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And I think, and sometimes I think I can watch a thing and be like, oh, I see what this is doing, but also I enjoy it. But for the most part, I, th- I think it would have to be done differently enough or well enough that I was excited about it. And at least in that one, that's the one that comes to mind. There was nothing in it that I thought was putting a twist on something I'd seen or doing something interesting with something I'd seen. I felt like he was just doing things I'd seen. Yeah. And I also just don't really care about, like, I don't like his personality very much. And I don't mean that in terms of him, but filmically, like, it's just, it, I, I almost dislike it more because it feels like it's something I'm supposed to like being who I am in that what he, his, his whole thing is, Oh, I've seen all the cool movies. Mm-hmm. Let me just show you all these cool things sure. from them. And like that sounds on paper like a reasonable project, but I don't know. I feel like it's, on paper, it that sounds like a person who would be a good film programmer. Sure, yeah, which he would be. Yeah. Um, but like I could, I could see the appeal of making a film that is essentially a remix of a ton of cool bits from other movies sure. that you then go to watch specifically to sit there and be like, Oh yeah, there's that. And there's that. And like, there's that. Like and it's all fun. Girl talk album. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, but for some reason, the way that Tarantino does them, maybe it's because he also just takes himself very seriously as a filmmaker. Yeah. And, and feel, and that other people take him very seriously. And there, sure. there's, you know, all of this talk about his films having very, you know, real meanings and critiques yeah. uh, contained within them, that he's really doing something by by stitching all of these things together. But then, I don't know, uh, I honestly don't, <laughs> don't read <laughs> the, the think pieces on Tarantino closely enough to remember sure. any of the given arguments. I... Um, had a conversation at a coffee shop maybe six months ago where for the first time, I mean, I was talking to someone about Tarantino for, I think it was just before this last one came out. So maybe longer than six months, whenever that was. Um, and we were talking about sort of the like legacy and aesthetics of Tarantino. And he brought up the fact that Tarantino is very serious and kind of humorless about his own work. And I didn't, I've never, I haven't really watched interviews with him or anything, but from his mm-hmm. work, I never would have guessed that you know i mean i guess it's there but his everything he makes is so dumb and and the things that he likes are dumb you know he's like he's a big Mm -hmm. fan of genre um which is sort of intrinsically playful and a little willfully stupid and i was shocked that this guy was telling me that tarantino doesn't approach his own work that way that he feels like it's a very serious undertaking which feels insane to me because it feels like oh you know what it was it was that i was talking about because he had told me i didn't know any of this that tarantino had put a hard limit on how many movies he was going to make and he was like this is my whatever movie and this is it's the last one i'm going to make unless i or like the second to last and then he's maybe going to make a star wars or something and people were mad about it i don't care um but he, I, because, and I was like, if, if I were excited about the same kinds of movies that Tarantino is, which I think I generally am, and mm-hmm. I had the resources and time, I would make at least a movie a year. I would be making them constantly. Uh, and I think that's the best way to exist as an artist. And I think that's the best way to show love to that to that kind of filmmaking in particular, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you, 
I think that there's, I think if you want to be a Kubrick, you know, and make seven movies and they're all exactly constructed how you need them to be, then that's a way to go about making movies. But I think if you are excited about the kind of filmmaking that is, you know, if you're like watching Shaw Brothers movies and if you're watching Al Adamson or like uh, Russ Meyer movies and being like, these are good movies, then you should just be making as many movies as you can. That yes. that should be your mode. Um, and so I was kind of stunned that, that this guy was telling me all these things about Tarantino that I didn't know because I never bothered. Um, but, but yeah, apparently he doesn't feel that way about his stuff. He like feels like he's making things that are very carefully constructed, but they're not. You know what I mean? He's he's not making Kubrick well, films that are so intricate and, and so in control. He's making just kind of dumb movies. I mean, I, I would push back only in that they are very carefully constructed but i don't mean that as a necessarily a point of praise like he he is i i do think he's a filmmaker who everything that goes into that film is really uh how do i put it he's very precise in what he makes and what he wants to have on screen okay uh and and he's and i i don't think it's actually to his credit because I, I do agree with you that in terms of the kinds of movies that he's interested in yeah. and the kinds of movies I would say not that he makes but that the kinds of movies that his movies gesture towards and quote yeah yeah um, uh, a faster rate of production a more first thought best thought approach yes. a, a sort of voracious cobbling together of uh, imagination and limitation yes that tends seems to like produce the things approach. yeah that that are more fundamentally interesting to me than what yeah. he does what of one of the things that i don't care for in a tarantino film is precisely how thoroughly thought through and constructed it all is when what it's doing is quoting and reveling yeah. in these uh films that were good precisely what's good about the films that he likes is almost always inversely uh, related to that kind of approach and that kind of planning. It's like stuff that somebody thought was a good idea on a day and they captured it and it worked because of the energy that it had. Yeah. I think we're kind of saying the same thing in that, in, in that, in that I think my, I think my reaction to his stuff is that it feels, it never has that kind of vibrancy or energy. Yes. And, and I think what I'm, saying and maybe i'm just saying it backwards or expressing it in a dumb way but i think what i'm saying when i say that it doesn't feel like his stuff is like so well thought through is that like when you are making something that's so delicate like a kubrick movie i'm sure kubrick thinks about all of his choices and weighs them and then picks the one that was correct you know and in Mm -hmm. a tarantino film it feels like everything is sort of thought through and then he stops at some point and that's where he is and I think if he were being smart, he would either do first thought, best thought, or he would come up with various ideas and then be like, okay, the first one I thought of was the best one, but it doesn't feel like he does that. It feels like he just sort of thinks things through and then it's like, well, I'm out of time. We're going with the last thing I thought of. And it ends up with sort of a forced energy to it because he's doing things that he sort of, you know, he's like had an idea and then he's molded it and adjusted things and tried to make things fit. And you can feel him trying to make things fit, which shouldn't be what it is. Does that make any sense? From your I face, I'm so. guessing no. 
Well, no, no, no. I, I think so. I, I mean, on the one hand, I, just, I think there's a, I think there's a way to think about things and land in the right place, and I think there was a way to think about things and land in the wrong place, and I think he lands in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, he, his films feel very labored to me, particularly the, the more recent ones, and by more sure. recent, I mean yeah. after like, no, I agree with that. The first few, yeah. Um, but then even those early ones feel very labored. Um, but they don't and, feel, they don't feel um, like. Like well thought out and delicate, they feel labored in the way that if you're in eighth grade and you're writing a book report, you'll do three passes and it'll end up reading like you don't know how to write because you've overthought every sentence. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think that that's actually his taste. Like, do you think, I think, so? you think that he's is... happy? Yes, that's interesting. I think that that is. I mean, you don't think I, he I makes think every that... movie and then is like, "Why can't I capture the magic of the films that I love?" Oh, no. No, he thinks he's a genius. That's interesting. I think if I had made one of his movies, I would be like, oh, what is it that I'm doing wrong that isn't like Switchblade Sisters, you know? I mean, sure, but for for whatever collection of reasons, like, the the world, for one, has given him every sure. reason to think that he's a genius. Yeah, but, like, who and, listens to the world? Well, egomaniacs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean... I, I remember getting because I so so I love Jackie Brown. Yeah, Jackie Brown's a great movie. And I remember being so excited when it finally came out on DVD because mm-hmm. uh, for a long time I'd just been watching. I had I had scoured for an actual uh, letterboxed VHS tape <laughs> to watch uh, because for a while Miramax was putting those out. Um, but I finally got it on DVD, and I made the mistake of just playing it. And it mm-hmm. starts with a Tarantino introduction. Oh, yeah. And so it's just like, oh, God, why am I listening to you talk? <laughs> um, but he, the way he talks about it, he's like, I just wanted to make this DVD special for the Jackie Brown heads. Because, you, know, you know, everybody likes Pulp Fiction. Everybody likes everything, you know. And it's, it's, but it's, it's a different kind of thing. This is a special, special movie for you guys. Because it was, it was, I mean, everybody said, oh, it's the more mature Tarantino. No, I haven't changed. I haven't changed. I Look, I blew your mind in Pulp Fiction. Next movie, I'm going to blow your mind again. But this one, I was just going to slow it down. Wow. Take my time. I was like, I just, I, I don't know if I can watch the movie now. Yeah. I just want to kill myself. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. Um, so, no, he absolutely believes that he is... He believes of himself the same things that the people who worship him believe. Huh. That he is the guardian of American cinema, essentially. Like What a weird place to end up in. Yeah. 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 The I mean I, I don't know. So so I, I I hear what you're saying about his films and I, I do think we, we are sort of trying to describe the same quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just the way I describe it is that I, I would never say that his films aren't... Like, I, I think he exerts to some de- some degree of Kubrickian control, but mm-hmm. without Kubrick's particular alien sensitivities. You know, like, Kubrick was, for, for any critiques I might have of his films, or the fact that I don't necessarily think that they're the greatest of all time now... Kubrick was in his own way a genius sure. in that he was making things that nobody else was going to make. Yeah, of course. Like they're, they're, they are his way of seeing and that's the only place you're going to get those. Yeah. And Tarantino has a voice. Yes. But his, his voice is the voice of 
a nerd who won't shut up about these things he likes and that you used to like too until yeah. he started talking to you about them. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, <laughs> taking down taking down Tarantino. <laughs> That's what we're doing Who's here. <laughs> next on the deck. Let's <laughs> let's. <sighs> I mean, yeah. I don't. It, it actually does bum me out because he is somebody. It's like. I mean, I like Tarantino more than I like Christopher Nolan, sure. but but both of them bum me out in a similar way in that they are the guys who are out there saying, like, no, I really want my movies to be on film. Sure, yeah. And, like, it's important that that be maintained. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to think about my films in terms of, like, what are they doing artistically, not just on their own, but as a unit, as, like, my career which is an interesting way of thinking that I do mm-hmm. wish some people thought about more. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think there is... I, I think it depends on who you are. Like, I think that that you're right about you and about, you know, a, a, a certain group of filmmakers who for whom the best choice artistically is to plunge ahead mm-hmm. and produce as much as possible because what you're after is something i mean you're you're kind of bubbling over mm-hmm. and you're also just you're you're trying to to grasp at this energy that can only be achieved through that kind of yeah. uh you know breakneck production sure yeah i think there are other kinds of filmmakers and other kinds of artists who do actually benefit from oh i agree with that the the sort of more measured approach absolutely yeah and that and and it's it's the they benefit from the kind of thinking that Nolan and Tarantino do about their films, mm-hmm. but I I don't care about Nolan and Tarantino. Like I they sure. it's they, they they make all of these moves that I feel like yeah I would like somebody to do that or like that's what I want from you know movies, but not from you. Well, every time someone <laughs> maybe I'm wrong about this. Everyone that I can think of who is that kind of filmmaker who is. I mean, I think there's some filmmakers who are very good, who are very careful and delicate and and think about their films in great detail. And there are definitely some good ones. But I think that when those people... I think in, I think that those people are always real big nerds. And I think that oftentimes well, sure. when they end up being lauded, it's easy for them to then be like, I am being lauded because I am great and to become yes. insufferable. And I... yes. I don't think that that's, like, a necessary part of being that kind of filmmaker, but I do think those things go hand in hand very often. Yeah. No, I think that's... I think that feels right. Whereas, if you read interviews with Russ Meyer or Al Adamson, they seem like real, real nice people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm trying to think of a of a good example of somebody who isn't Kubrick. Sure. Who But Kubrick I'm sure was also a horrible human being, you know what I mean? Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. At least at least uh on set yeah. guaranteed. I don't yeah. know about his private life. Um but I'm I'm just trying to think of somebody like a good example of a filmmaker who uh, sort of exerts that kind of control and that kind of thinking who I also like. Because like we, we've touched this ground a little bit before talking about like David Fincher's need to, mm-hmm. to you know, suffocate every film he ever makes to death yeah. in, so that it won't leave him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and how that's like the the negative inverse of Kubrick, but it it is harder to think of people who are that uh, thorough and delicate and 
and precise. Yeah. I mean, most people land in the middle of that spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and anyone who's on any extreme is going to be kind of infuriating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe they're supposed to be. You know, sure. like, maybe that's how... Like, we we kind of need them on those, uh, on those extremes. <laughs> but nobody wants to go hang out there with them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. an hour ago i had this idea and i don't it's not quite good enough so help me ripen it um it's it's like a it's like a thing riff right it's a movie where the monster is taking over people's bodies and it's it's like a seed it's like two-thirds of a seed and it needs some massage uh so roll with me it's um the thing style, right? So it's some kind of creature. I, I think we should maybe develop the backstory of the creature a little bit, but I haven't. Um, I feel like in the thing they don't, which is nice. They're like my alien, but um, but for this, I feel like it might be nice to know a little bit more. Okay. Uh, but I don't care right now. Like but, for ourselves or for the film? Either way. I okay. mean, we can do it for ourselves, and if it's awesome, we can do it in the film. You know? Yeah. Uh, and this might not be an well. Anyway, so or it might be it's, something. It's, yeah. You know. It's jumping from person to person. I think it's maybe like more in an open space than it is in the thing. It's not like so contained. Okay. Uh, it's in like Chicago, um, but it's uh, it's it, it, this being its power is uh, it can only get into you if you are already sort of. Um, at risk, right? So we can only get into like children or the elderly or very sick people. Okay. That's as far as I've gotten. Okay. So it's a so it's a murder being I mean it, we should give it maybe a better goal, but we don't have to. Again, it can just be around and killing folks. But or it's just jumping be- into like a six year old and then an old guy. We can leave it at least let's let's simplify for the Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, for the purposes of, of, of spitballing this out and say that core of the idea is that it's a it's a, an alien or some sure. kind of alien consciousness whether or not it comes yes. from outer space or not it's yeah, some yeah, yeah. alien in that it's foreign to humanity yeah. yeah non-human consciousness that jumps from body to body yeah does it do you think it needs us as a host or is this a side product of something else it's doing I don't know if you know the answer to that right now, but that's just... I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I, so, in my brain, I just thought, oh, it could be like a, um, like it's operating like a disease, right? Where it's actually just infecting people, and then it's not just contained in one person. But then it becomes a zombie movie, but all the zombies are babies and old people. And I don't know if that's... That feels less fun to me. Yeah. Well, might be interesting along those lines. So, that's one one sort of... Uh, decision point we can have, right? Does it sure. completely leave or does it spread? Right. If it spreads, I agree with you having it just be a zombie slash invasion of the body snatchers type thing. Super boring yeah. played out. Yeah. But maybe... <laughs> Although it would be fun to call it invasion of the baby snatchers. 
if it can only get into the youngest. That's a different movie. They just that get we colicky. should also make. You're like, my baby's just being a grumpy baby right now. Yeah. You're like, no, look out. Well, no, I mean, I would make a movie where all of the babies in the world yeah. end up getting infested with this consciousness that turns them into murder babies, and then they yeah, just become yeah. like an army of babies. Yeah. And everyone's really hesitant about how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, like, can we just put them in a bubble and also know. they don't like but that's why they end up getting to kill people because they don't have special yeah. powers they're still just babies like yeah, some yeah. of them can't walk some of them can barely roll over but they still manage yeah. to kill people because people are like no oh one... no but it's a baby uh and like somebody's yeah. like keeps trying to get out of the baby's way and eventually falls in front yeah. of a train or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so that's a different movie that we should also <laughs> make invasion of yeah. invasion of the baby snatchers um for this one yeah the idea I just had is so this this being is jumping from body to body and I, yeah. I think you're right it shouldn't just take over everybody but what yeah. if it leaves something behind I like that it's, a, it's not still in control but somehow the person has been changed added to somehow or something when the yeah. thing goes through and, and I'm not even necessarily married to the thing being malicious it could have some other complete no, goal. Yeah, like I it, like that. I, but, but I like dealing with just the idea of it jumping. Yeah. That it has to enter into sort of already vulnerable to disease populations. Mm-hmm. And that something stays behind. Whether that's something's okay. beneficial or negative, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I, that, that sort of like remaining stain as it moves through. Continuation on the goal idea. I like... I like that it's not trying to be malicious. It's just trying to achieve some kind of... It could even be like a... Whatever. Some kind of goal. It wants to get to a place or have someone do a thing. Or it's just like trying to make anybody yeah, pick up an object and move it to a place to enact some outer space bullshit. Yeah. Right? Um, but it... And, and maybe it can enter anybody, but the amount of control it can exert over them is directly proportional to how how enfeebled they are right so like it can only take as much control as you are sort of allowing it so it can like jump into a hale and hearty person but it just can't do anything in them yeah so that so then it's sort of choosing to jump into like oh because that gives it then it's not like fully taking control even when it's in an old person or a sick person or a baby right it's getting a baby's maybe it would have full control over but like if you're old and like in pain and sick it can like sort of control you and so it's pushing you to do things and you're not sure what what they are or why um and you're kind of fighting it um maybe but but it's trying to uh yeah maybe it's not even uh tied to physical enfeeblement but it's, Mm -hmm. it's tied more to your relationship to impulse control Oh, I like because that a lot. It, it becomes so like just into, like an it's like uh, who's smoking have. a cigarette. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So like people who are, and then it then it doesn't have to tra- like it'll more obviously track in kids and older people. Yeah, yeah. But there'll be there'll be other people in between that who maybe have yeah. issues with their impulse control, and it can yes. have them do more. Or people realize like, oh, I just had this idea to do this, and I was thinking yeah. about, it, but then other people would just do it without thinking about the fact that they were having an idea. Something yeah. like that, maybe. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the what they would be after yet, but that can come later. We can we can yeah. figure out what the goal is. I I like the idea too of the goal being 
somewhat, if not entirely, incidental to yeah. oh, whatever yeah. our core problem is in the film. Yes. So, like, sure. they're trying I mean, I to... Feel like, I feel like the issue has to be something like, oh, there's something cosmic about the Blarney Stone. It needs to be underwater for our radios to work. <laughs> or something like that. I'm, I, I'm almost like... I almost want... Just a task. It, just to be trying to find a person, like a specific person, sure. Sure. and have a conversation with that person. Like maybe a person <laughs> who somehow connected with this consciousness a long time ago, and they're trying yeah. to find that first contact person again, and yeah. and catch up and like have a discussion. But then oh, in sure. the meantime, their presence has caused all of this other confusion. Yeah. Or that's also that's really lovely because it would it would be jumping into different people and like seeing how much it could push them to do things and it would be continually making them go to this one person <laughs> as much as it can so for this one person it's just like random people they they mostly don't know some of them they might know would be approaching them and like starting to have a conversation but it's like how far can it push them yeah. you know what i mean so it can be like oh you really want to ask this guy how he's doing and they'd be like ah, oh, how are you doing yeah, yeah, I'd be like, fine. And then it would be like, but you really want to know about this specific thing from 10 years ago? And they'd be like, eh, no, I don't. And then they'd wander away, and it would be like, ah! You know? It's like, and maybe he finally gets to have the conversation because he finds, like, the right kid who both yeah. has, you know, his inhibitions down because he's a child, mm-hmm. but also has an expansive enough, like, empathetic yeah, imagination like emotional intelligence. to just, yeah. like, invite him in and be like, cool, we're sharing a body. That's fun. Yeah. And like, yeah. kind of explore it that way. Yeah. Um, so then you have like this maybe like really old scientist who's mm-hmm. lived all who's almost dead. Like maybe that, that also gives the creature its urgency, right? Right. Like, yeah. Because he's on a deathbed. That this person is not long for this world, or maybe yeah. they just assume like we have to find him. He's probably dead by now, but like maybe we can find him. And we can yeah. come up with some, like, important information he has to give him. Or, like, yes. Important to them. It can even just be emotionally yeah. important. doesn't have to be, It could like, just be, like, they want to say goodbye before he dies. Yeah. Like, he did something once and they like him. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, something like that. So then, like, you know, one of the... Maybe not necessarily the last scene, but one of the final scenes will be, like, this kid talking with this really old man. And they're just connecting yeah. because they've known each other forever. Yeah. Um, and whoever our protagonist is can probably witness that. Yeah. And, like, come away with at least some understanding, if not an yeah. entire understanding of what's going on. Yeah. If we can, it would be nice to push it so that the <laughs> audience gets a certain degree of understanding and the character gets a certain degree of understanding and they don't entirely mm-hmm. overlap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We know that they know things. Yeah. And we feel things. Yeah, yeah. that would be... That would be I, as of your last sentence, I feel like our protagonist is probably like a private detective yeah. who's trying to figure out what's going on. Or could also, if, if the guy's like on the way out, it could be like someone who works at the hospital who's watching all these people kind of show up. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, trying yeah, to figure I'm out what's going what, on. What else would be... I would, we, we might get led to who our protagonist is if we come up with some early scenarios of like mm-hmm. how the how the consciousness like where exactly it's coming from or who patient zero is or who at least the first person we're introduced to is maybe we don't see when it first jumps but we get like we come in you know 
six or seven or even a dozen or a hundred people in as it's like trying to make its way a little bit um and maybe as we if if we develop like the first handful of scenarios somebody might stand out as like oh this is a person we could follow this is a person who would experience this because what we would need to find is somebody who would go through this experience and not just shrug it off yeah. Like they, they would yeah. go through it and be curious enough to then pursue right. what's happening. To be like, what is, yeah, what happened to me and is now happening to other people yeah. I need to know more. Uh, yeah. And presumably they're going to think that it's malicious or worry that it's malicious. And yeah. one thing we could do, something it, it made me think of is that we could have a, several different uh, competing explanations for what's going on. Oh, for that sure. Get currency like in the culture and people get really mad at each other over it so like one person's like it's the russians with mind control and somebody else is like you idiot it's homegrown and somebody else is (laughs) like no it's the grays from outer space and then it's like you know it's no it's the lizard people or whatever you know right right or like somebody else could be like no this is just a natural phenomenon now what we have to do is we have to examine you know why this is arising out of our subconscious at this point in time It's probably um, a vortex. Yeah. And if we're really, wind. really good and put in the work, we can make each of the arguments at least metaphorically true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like each of them have a kernel of reality to it. <laughs> yeah. Not just like it could be true, but like actually if you watch the film, right? Yeah, they're like, all oh, it is a kind little of. bit yeah. <laughs> true about what's happening, but also it's this other yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll that'd be right. I like this. I like where we're going with this. Okay. I'm pretty sure where we where we left it is that I watched through three because that's mm-hmm. where he gets the hockey mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I just want to see him get the hockey mask, and then yeah. you know, mm-hmm. by it was just an insufferably boring movie until he started killing people, and then sure. it was kind of fun. But then it was over. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to watch any more Friday the Thirteenth. I think I've seen enough. Yeah, I've since watched every entry. <laughs> into the Friday the 13th series. Did they improve uh, or were you just stockhausen didn't do it? I've so <laughs> um they definitely improved. Okay. And then unimproved and then reimproved and then unimproved okay. um but it I've having now watched literally everything that's I think ever been released as a Friday the 13th film including the like non Paramount uh, films and the the remake mm-hmm. that Michael Bay produced. Mm. Um, oh, Platinum Dunes, right? I forget that he has that whole horror. Oh yeah, banner, yeah. and it's it's super Michael Bay. Okay, um, that's it. Sounds really good to me. <laughs> there's good things about it, and like then there's it... other things that will just make you feel terrible as a person. Okay, all right. Um, like it's definitely not like it's some of the good 
things of Michael Bay of like, yeah. no, we need this to be more awesome. Yeah. And then some of the bad stuff about Michael Bay where he's like, no, fire that girl if she's not going to be naked uh, for this entire scene. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or like, it's literally like in, in, a, in a series that I think has been well noted as sort of misogyny central. Yes. <laughs> since it started yeah. in... <laughs> Um, I've never seen anything more horrifyingly misogynist in any Friday the okay. 13th film than one of the kills in the Michael Bay remake. Okay. So, <laughs> so like I said, there's, there's some good and some bad. Sure. Um, but I, I, I don't really want to talk about the remake that much because it, it, whatever it is, it's fine. If, sure. if you like sure. those kinds of films, it makes some fun choices and you won't, it's not boring. It's okay. totally good. Uh, but it's also whatever it is. Uh, what I do want to talk about is the core Friday the 13th series. Okay. Which I've now learned is the first eight. Those are okay. all of the ones that were made uh, at Paramount. Okay. So then after eight, I think New Line bought it. That makes sense. And that's when you get um, Jason Goes to Hell, Freddy mm-hmm. versus Jason, mm-hmm. uh, and then nothing until the Bay remake. Right. Um, so those first eight actually, well, first of all, I'm just going to talk about, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. The, the, I, I went into the fourth one thinking that it, I wasn't going to enjoy it very much. And mm-hmm. why am I even doing this? And, and it wasn't great, but certain things jumped out at me. Okay. Um, the timeline of the Friday the 13th movies is much like the Halloween movies get insane because they in part because they uh pay attention to how much time has actually passed between yeah. films yeah, yeah, yeah friday the 13th goes the opposite route okay. which is that literally all three of the films two three and four mm-hmm. all take place over the course of like five days together whoa okay <laughs> So the first Friday the 13th is on a Friday the 13th. Sure. The second Friday the 13th is on a Friday the 13th years later. Okay. But then the third and the fourth follow immediately Okay. after those. So it's like a Saturday, Sunday, maybe a yeah, Monday. Yeah, so it's like Saturday the 14th, Sunday yeah. the 15th, yeah. um, which is extra nuts because you basically think about these films of like, oh, you know, it's just another outing with this killer who comes yeah. back and kills more people. But then you're actually thinking about, it's like, oh no, you're watching news reports of the last film's death toll while uh, yeah. he's like sneaking up on people. That's amazing. Scene. But <laughs> it gets even more crazy because a lot of time has actually passed between, between the making the of makings. the films. Sure. And I think maybe the writers forgot they were supposed to be writing it to have happened within days because there's a character who shows up in four who is he's played as a red herring of like he's this guy in the woods and you think like oh maybe he's the killer Mm -hmm. um or you're supposed to think that or whatever uh but it turns out that he's looking for the killer he's looking for jason Voorhees. yeah because he's the brother of one of the women killed in the second film and okay. he's out for revenge okay and he has he like tells it as if it's like oh this is what i've been doing for you know however long and he has these like yellowed newspaper clippings about the murders 
that happened and, yesterday? Right. Well, that's the thing is that you're watching this and it because the years have passed between the films, you're yeah. at first you're just like, oh, yeah, because that happened back in 1982 yeah. or whatever. And then you're thinking about it and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> this is supposed <laughs> to be three days after that. So like somehow he got the newspaper clippings he, and then he like aged came them. out. Yeah, exactly. He aged them with like tea and yeah. then came out into the woods all in a day to try to find <laughs> So it's like the the timeline of it just gets completely he, insane. Is he like because... all haggard? He's like, I've been looking for her for twenty four hours. No, because they don't actually do beard. I mean that would be great. He's he's yeah. supposed to be a hunk, so he's like still pretty clean even though oh, okay. he's been in the woods for days. Um, like obviously he has a shower in his pup tent. Sure. sure. Uh, (laughs) But it is, it did put me in mind of just like, like, how would you do that, but do it a on purpose and B to some interesting, uh, effect, right? Like, yeah. Somehow put yourself in a position where you're observing two passages of time at the same time. The one that's supposed to be happening. Yeah. 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 The one that's supposed to be happening in the film and then the real world time, because it, it, it's an interesting challenge that the Halloween movies put up for themselves of we're going to respect the amount of time that's passed in the real world in our films. Yeah. But to try to do both at once because they completely conflict. Yeah. There's got to be something to do with that that would actually really have some juice to it. Yeah, there must be. Um, So that, that was my favorite thing about the fourth one, which I didn't end up caring that much about. Uh, It's, it's a, it's, um, I mean, I, I think we talked already about how the fourth one is this weird thing where the third one is where he finds the hockey mask. Mm-hmm. And it sort of seems like it's supposed to be the one where, like, all right, now we figured out the formula. Yeah, and we're going to yeah, go yeah. with it. But then in the fourth one, they try to definitively kill Jason. Right. And in the <laughs> right. fifth one, which might now be my new favorite. Okay. All right. Which is a controversial opinion among fans of these movies, let me tell you. Okay. Because the, the fifth one, I, I've 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 heard, deep in the Reddit. I've, I've been I've been I've been casting my ears around. Um, <laughs> the fifth one is the one that everybody likes to pretend doesn't exist oh. because it's the one that doesn't have Jason in it. Oh, oh, because he's dead. Because he's actually dead from the fourth one, and they tried to make it so like there's a new killer who's a copycat killer. Fun. Uh, with the yeah, totally fun. I mean, the the way they actually play the story out completely idiotic and and confusing like to the point where they get to the end and they show you the face of the guy and you're like i can't tell what face that is (laughs) (laughs) so then you need like a scene a couple of scenes later to explain who it was except that you already (laughs) were pretty sure you knew who it was because they telegraph it with like i mean when they show this character not in the hockey mask, he's basically just like staring at the camera and shaking with rage. So you're like, oh, well, he's probably the killer. Yeah, but then when yeah. they finally show you the face, it's in shadow. And you're like, I can't tell who that is. I would love it if it was just if like we we didn't see the murder. It was, you know, the kind of thing where they're like, ooh, like a like giallo where it's like you, you see like the hands, but you don't see who's doing the murders. And they're like, who is the murderer going to be? And then at the end, it's just a guy you're like it's yeah, this guy. Right? It's like, it's oh, Sam. somebody I never You've never seen of. his face before. It's been off yeah. camera the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I would love yeah. that. But that's not what they did. Uh, so the, the the story part is absurd. But five has... So so four... I, I, I covered this a little bit before just from having read about it. But now having mm-hmm. actually seen it, it's even better. Four has one of the Corys. I still can't remember which Corey it is. Sure. Corey Feldman. Matter. Sure. 
He's one. Um, I think. <laughs> Which one was in Goonies? Uh, Feldman. Okay, so it's Corey Feldman. Um, and Corey Feldman kills Jason, which is absurd. <laughs> yeah, Corey Feldman is a bundle of sticks. He, like, kills Jason by dressing up as him. And I don't mean dressing up in a hockey mask. He, so the character... Because Jason doesn't have the hockey mask at that point, right? No, he He's... does in four. He oh, does have the hockey mask. Oh, right, right, right. He but gets... it's somehow, again, the, oh, so this is another one of the weird, like, time things in the film is that... Mm-hmm. Corey Feldman has also has newspaper clippings about Jason. Okay. But it's hard to tell whether he has them because Jason has reemerged and started killing people, or if he just yeah. has, somehow has clippings about when Jason was originally drowned as a boy. Because the thing he has is he has information about what Jason looked like as a child. Weird. That's very weird. <laughs> and the way he, yeah, and the way he kills Jason at the end is he dresses, he, so Corey Feldman in the film is also a makeup expert who makes incredibly detailed like horror movie masks is that where the um, hunger games got that from them. i very possibly but he <laughs> he defeats jason at the end by whipping up a like jason costume where he dresses but himself like, up as young if he's child young child jason. jason and jason just looks at him and is really confused for long enough for cory to kill him with his own machete that's ridiculous um, but then like Corey goes crazy and starts really chopping at him, and it's supposed to be like, oh, he's seen oh, so and much, he's and now he's going. The next movie. Well, so the in the fifth one, the idea is that you think he probably is. Like it's okay. set up so that it it jumps way into the future. Trump's like ten years into the future, okay. or however many. Um, or I, if I remember correctly, it jumps. Enough years into the future for Corey Feldman's character to be an adult, but not enough years for it to be believable that the person they got to play him is that age. Because oh, he's much dude. older than he should okay. be. It's John Voight. Yeah. Um, but so they, they jump into the future. Corey Feldman isn't in the film. He's in the film okay. for five minutes at the beginning like in a flashback, in a flashback or something? Yeah. that they literally, I think I heard they shot in his backyard <laughs> because Amazing. they were like, we really need you in this. And he's like, well, I'm famous and I don't need this movie, but I'll shoot this <laughs> in my backyard for five minutes. That's incredible. Um, so, but, but to so the fifth one, uh, <laughs> he was like, you can come see my mansion, <laughs> hang out in my fancy backyard. And they were all like, mom, <laughs> war making another Jason. <laughs> um, but they made an, um, look, five gets a lot of hate. I'm obsessed with this film right now. Um, because so so the the basic plot of the film is they uh, they set you up to think like okay so this is this Corey Feldman's character is going to live in a group home because he's still super traumatized from the whole Jason Voorhees incident and sure. he barely talks and if anybody seems to be putting him in danger or touching him in the wrong way he reacts like with insane karate violence. Uh, right. Uh, and so you're set up like the very obvious red herring of the film is like, right. oh, somebody's doing Jason murders. It's probably it's the guy probably who's him. like yeah. super traumatized by Jason murders. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's some other guy. Um, and the again, the overall plot of the film, super dumb. It's like, sure. oh, it's this other guy who got triggered by something and he you know, decided to go kill lots of people. And then Which is funny the... because I feel like the core of that style of movie isn't a whodunit, you know? Well, well, you could just be though, like, it, it it's kind the of... Corey Feldman guy. He's murdering yeah. people. Look at these murders. <laughs> and it would be a fine slasher film. Yeah. Well, it's weird too, right? Like it's, it's kind of still hanging on a little bit to its Giallo origins. 
Oh, okay. Because, like, those were always murder mysteries. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, like, you know, um, Friday the 13th 1 and 2 both cribbed heavily from Bay of Blood. Mm, okay. So, like, they're, that makes they're, sense. they're rooted in that Giallo thing. So maybe right. somebody thought of that. I don't know. I don't know what the thinking was behind it, but they yeah, decided yeah. to do this, like, whoa, it's called the new blood. It's like, oh, who's doing the killing? Is Jason yeah. really back from the dead? Or is it, you know, this character whose name I forget yeah. <laughs> doing it? But all of that's unimportant. What's amazing about Five is that it is populated top to bottom with some of the most amazing side characters I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> To the extent that I am currently making a fan edit of this film that just cuts out the entire Jason plot and stitches together all of the weird scenes that this director decided to make of, like, the angriest man in the world chopping wood while a guy covered in chocolate offers him a chocolate bar. And um, a young black kid going to meet his older brother who lives in an RV with his girlfriend and the older brother just he is like dressed in in like purple with a with a big hairdo and he keeps offering him random food like you hungry do you want some chicken i got a burrito uh <laughs> like there's just so many good scenes in this movie and none of and that them sounds have amazing anything to do with the reason you're supposed to be there sure sure but it's just <laughs> filled with these little moments that i'm totally in love with there's a there's a like a hick farm owning mom and her backwards not mentally all their son who are like straight up like groundlings characters <laughs> and she's just like super loud and rude going like junior what i'm making your dinner right now what are you doing and he's just riding around on his motorcycle because he's angry just screaming there's like Two minutes of him just riding around the yard going, ah! <laughs> it's insane. That sounds beautiful. Beautiful. So yeah. that sounds like your fan edit, the version of this without the, the murder <laughs> through line. <laughs> sounds like the best version of a Cremaster movie. Yeah, it's a Cremaster directed by David Lynch on an off day. Great. It, you know, so so that's where uh, we'll 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 release that, you know, on our on our feed or whatever. We'll we'll put a sure. link to it. Yeah. Um cuz you got the, the official gotta, synesthesia Vimeo page or whatever, I don't know. Um so then I kept going um and I I rewatched 6 and 7. 6 is still great. Um, that's, that's the one that sort of knows what all of these films are and does it, does a film knowingly, but not too knowingly, like not Joss Mm -hmm. Whedon knowingly, but more like, Hey, we know why we're here and I'm going to do this in a fun way. I'm like, great, cool. Um, it's like pre-scream. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like self-aware, but not obnoxiously (laughs) self-aware. Yeah. It's not going to have like a Seth Green character who's like, but typically in a movie like this. So then I also rewatched Seven, which I remembered not liking. Yeah. Um, I was wrong. Okay. It's pretty solid. That's the okay. one where it's Carrie versus Jason, essentially. Oh, yeah, It's like yeah, a young yeah, girl yeah. has telekinetic powers and then ends up fighting Jason. And I don't know what was up my ass the first time I watched it. Okay. It's a that, fucking That delight. one line sounds amazing. Yeah. And it is. It's great. It's super okay. fun. Totally, totally good to watch. The last one, the one I really want to talk about. Okay is i mean other than five which i could talk about for another four hours sure is the last one number eight Uh uh jason takes manhattan okay which 
I remember seeing commercials for when I was a kid. That's the first yeah. one that I had awareness of like in real time while it was coming sure. out. I don't know if you remember. I definitely remember seeing commercials for that and like previews and stuff. Yeah. We were like, Oh, whoa, he's going to be loose in New York city. This crazy yeah. killer. Yeah. Um, I remember there's like maybe a shot of him like on a boat, like, like Nosferatu, but yeah. like, like cruising into the Harbor with fog <laughs> behind that, him. That, Is that I, correct? That, I don't I, that's know. In my I, head. But I feel like that's probably a trailer <laughs> that yeah. I've seen. Yeah. That's how I remember it too. Yeah. Um, so the movie itself, it's fine. It's not great. Okay. It's it's like middling entry into the series. Sure. Uh, and people often rightly complain that he spends almost no time in Manhattan. Most oh, of the movie is him getting to Manhattan okay. uh, on a graduation yacht for the class oh. of Crystal Lake High School who are taking cool. a trip to New York City. And he cool. like ends up on the boat and that's kind of a fun idea of like oh no sure. we're on a cruise ship with jason yeah. Voorhees, and like he goes right. through killing everybody yeah, yeah. well yeah. it's fun enough um but eventually they do get to new york city and this is gonna take a minute to explain okay um the main character in the film uh is a high school girl who when she was a younger girl got pushed into a lake by her uh legal guardian because he was trying to teach her to swim the like sink or swim way sure sure but when she fell into crystal lake jason as a child in the lake before he came back out and started killing people swam up and grabbed her and tried to pull her down okay so right off the bat the film is introducing this new piece of the mythology that, that he not was, only did Jason not he drown. He was a merman for several years. But yes, that he somehow existed in the lake yeah. from like age, whatever, seven yeah. to 21 or whatever it is. Sure. Uh, and he was just chilling down there. Yeah. Really grabbing angry, ankles. grabbing ankles. Meanwhile, his mother's out killing everybody because he died. Yeah. So like it adds just like an extra wrinkle of like, I guess it maybe makes that make more sense than him just being a dude chilling in the woods that whole time, which is what Does two it? sort because of posits. Because that can happen. <laughs> sure. But you would think that if he was just chilling in the woods and watching his mom kill yeah. people, he would at some point go, hey, mom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then she'd be like, That's oh, true. you're not dead. I mean, There's I guess no I assume he ended up in the woods somewhere exist. where he couldn't see his mom killing people. No, because part of the reason he starts killing people is because he's watching and sees her get killed oh. at the end of the first oh. film. So it's all revenge Weird. for his mother. Okay. It makes, so he's, it, he's, he's underwater woods, until watching. just before he emerges and sees her die. That seems to be what Aid is positing. Okay. So then throughout the film, at certain moments, child Jason appears in visions to okay. this girl. Um, Rennie is her name. I just remembered. Okay. So appears in visions to Rennie. And it's made very clear that they are not in her head because mm-hmm. her dog reacts to one of them and runs away. Oh, okay. So like, this is happening. This is a yeah. mystical thing that's happening in the world of this film. Yeah. Um, so she, her like story then is tied to Jason's story in this sure. weird way by this construction. So that yeah. the end of the film is the way they kill Jason. And I think they must have known that this was the last Paramount film because the, the thing that drove me wild about this film is that it definitively ends the series oh, okay. in a way that would be very difficult to undo. Yeah. 
um, with like even with all the other films of like the different ways that he's died, they'll like bring him sure. back with lightning or you know yeah. something like that. This ends it the way they end this film is mm-hmm. Rennie and her boyfriend are being chased by Jason through the sewers of Manhattan. Okay. And they run into a guy who just conveniently tells them, you can't be down here. This whole tube fills with toxic waste every night. <laughs> Which is like, I guess what you can sure. believe about New York. It's like, oh no, there's just some yeah. sewers that fill with toxic waste every night to vent it out yeah. of the city or whatever <laughs> the fuck. Um, so of course they end up contriving it so that Jason gets caught in the toxic waste when it flows out. So they're climbing up out of it and they're watching him get caught in the toxic waste and he's, you know, being buffeted by the stream and he's melting before their eyes. Like his mask falls off and his face is just melting off and he's just like, I'm dissolving. Um, so not only does his body literally get dissolved by toxic waste, which is difficult to come back from. Yes. They then look down and see after the waste has like washed away and we're just Mm -hmm. back to like a regular sewer on the like little sewer ledge is Jason Voorhees as a little boy dead lying in the sewer. Wow. So like the toxic waste washed away the entire monster. (laughs) Like, yeah, everything that had accumulated around him as Jason Voorhees and returned him to this pristine... innocent state as a dead child and that's wow. how they end the movie that's beautiful it is it like it actually got me i was like what that's <laughs> such a good idea that's yeah. an you gave this character that i don't care anything about that is a yes. nonsense like excuse for mayhem a yeah. genuine ending yeah that astonished me <laughs> And it literally, it ends the series. Like, not that I would ever recommend anybody to watch them, like, as a series or, like, watch it for, like, it's not like it turns it into a, you know, an eight-part novel or whatever. But it is interesting (laughs) that you can watch the entire Paramount run. And it has a a beginning, middle, and an end. Like, they they draw it up and finish it off. It's like, okay. It all kind of works in there. It, it made That's me amazing. really interested how New Line was then going to start Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. I assumed what they would do is because, so just to back up, after Paramount, you know, finished that film, New Line bought the property mm-hmm. uh, and they made Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Which was presumably the whole reason to do that was to get the Friday the 13th property and the Nightmare on Elm Street property, which right. New Line, of course, already owned. You know, the yeah. New Line's the house that Freddie built um, yeah. to merge together. So the, the yeah. idea is that, like, Jason can go to hell and where he'll meet Freddie, who's in some other kind of hell dimension. They'll be sure. able to merge these things. I thought going in that because literally in the last film, Jason had dissolved into a puddle of goo and a dead yeah. child. Yeah. That they would just start with Jason Voorhees in hell. Yeah. Like, Jason goes which to hell. Which is also... It's like a beautiful kind of, because you're, you're like all of the, Jason has been separated into his two component pieces at that point. Like the monster, yeah. the unstoppable monster has melted and washed away and is now in hell. Yeah. And the like innocent, actual humanity child is dead in a sewer somewhere. Yeah. So now you're left with this force of evil in hell that is untethered from any shred of humanity it once had. Like yeah. that's like you great. You can actually that's do something interesting with that, point. right? Yeah. They do not. <laughs> they just, they start the movie and just, Jason's just hanging around Crystal Lake 
and they basically the their twist is that it starts like a reboot it it isn't even strong enough to like it doesn't address anything that's crazy at all it just it literally so it starts with uh, a woman going to a cabin in crystal lake and getting naked and taking a shower hooray and then jason comes chases her but then the whole twist is it turns out she's a plant from the fbi and leads him into a field Mm. where a giant swat team just shoots him to pieces okay so it's just weird because they're like, oh, well, let's start this movie by killing Jason. It's like, but you ended right. the last movie with killing Jason. Yeah. You what bought you a property that featuring a dead pro- um, anti-hero. But they, so they literally shoot him to pieces and they take the pieces in for an autopsy. And this is one mm. of the only, I, this is actually one of the only ones I didn't completely watch. Um, okay. Because I couldn't. Okay. Um, there's something about the way Jason Goes to Hell was shot. Mm-hmm. Um I, first of all, it certainly just exists to get to the point to get where to Freddy versus you can Jason. get to Freddy vs. Jason, which is a, yeah. a pretty fun movie. I watched sure. it. Yeah. It's totally fine. That's one of the two that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> it is totally fine. I'm not sure. going to spend any time talking about its high points or its low points because neither no. are worth They don't exist. Either, but it was just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, that was fun. Yeah. Um, it yeah. made some fun choices and I'll never remember them. Um, Jason Goes to Hell, I will remember until the day I die, even (laughs) though I didn't watch the whole thing, because, first of all, it's completely insane. Okay. But secondly, it's shot in this early 1990s horror film aesthetic that I'd have to look at it again to describe exactly what it is that it's doing. But everything's just a little bit too saturated but mm-hmm. not in an interesting, like, colorful way. Everything's mm-hmm. a little bit too crisp and clear. Mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit too moist. Oh, and I just... That seems difficult to me. But, like, not, but not, like... Very pro-moisture. But not moist in a way where you're like, oh, wow, this is really doing something that's interesting. It's just, like, a little hint of, like... Oh, oh just, okay. It, there was something about... And literally, it wasn't about what was happening on the screen. It wasn't about any of the sure. gore. It was just about the way the film looked that made mm-hmm. me so uncomfortable that I couldn't finish <laughs> watching the film. Just like the That's way amazing. people's flesh tones looked in their faces. Huh. And I've seen other films from the 90s that look like this. And I just like, sure. there's something about this, like, I, it's it's glossy, but not glossy. I don't know yeah. how to describe it. And again, I'd have to I look at like it for longer than I want. This is speculation, but I bet it's like early digital intermediate being able to shoot the thing and then really push it. Mm. In, in specific computery ways before reprinting it out. You know what I mean? That's I bet they thought. were like, we can make everything so sharp. That's a and thought. We can, you know, I bet it was just a process thing and people hadn't figured it out yet. That's pure speculation. Yeah. But that's my speculation. No, that's that's not bad. Okay. Um, so, so I'm going to run through this real quick and then be done with this because all I really cared about was getting to the end of eight. But there's things about Jason Goes <laughs> to Hell that you, sure. you have to hear. And you might okay. need to watch this film only because... Okay, so Jason's blown to pieces, but yeah. then ends up inhabiting other people's bodies and okay. going around killing people. So it's like, oh, like the thing. great, we get the worst of both worlds. We get just like, yeah. uh, you know, boring slasher, but you don't even get to see like the fun monster of Jason because it just looks like yeah. a dude. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they don't even like do a conceit where it's like, oh, he looks like Jason when he's a monster or whatever. Like it's just a sure, dude yeah. and like multiple dudes like jumps from body yeah, to body. Yeah. Uh, and there's this whole super convoluted, uh, you know, dark horror fantasy explanation of like, 
what the Voorhees has to do to get from the right body to the other body. And then it becomes the thing and you have to have the right knife to kill him. And it's like, Holy God, what is they're (laughs) like trying to make Friday the 13th into a Clive Barker film or something. And like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But not actually understanding what makes Clive Barker interesting either. Not getting those rules. Yeah. Um, But the two things that are kind of worth your time. One of them is that there's a character throughout the film who actually just shows up right at the end of the opening i like after they blow him to pieces this character just kind of like wanders out of the woods and is looking and it's this black (laughs) dude who's dressed like a cowboy but like a like a horror cowboy he's got like a long black duster and he's like like a bounty hunter kind of person and he just wanders out at the end of the beginning and go looks at dead jason and goes i don't think so And that he's the one who, for the rest of the movie, like, explains everything. And he's been hunting Jason for his whole life and, like, understands all of the lore. And Does he all, explain blah, blah, blah. it, like, to other characters? Or is it, like, to a whiteboard to the audience? Oh, no, that would be great. No, he's explaining it to other characters. And he also, okay. like, explains it partially on, like, a fake hard copy type show. Oh, yeah, okay. Which sure. they don't... They, one of the... This is one of my pedantic complaints about a film like this, but they, they, if memory serves, they bother to make the in-studio part of the hard copy show look like it's on mm-hmm. a television. Like they go down to 4.3 and it looks like video. Yeah. But then as soon as they got cut to the interview with this guy, it's just yeah. widescreen film again. It's just movie again. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> um, like pick one. Yeah. Like just either do it or don't. Um, yeah. But so that character is sort of worth just experiencing yeah Um, i mean i like that character in my head the number one thing about the film the only scene Mm -hmm. i can say is genuinely good and it's only Mm -hmm. good for a few seconds before you realize what's going on plot wise Uh, is the um after they kill jason and blow him to pieces they bring him in all the pieces for an autopsy Mm -hmm. and the doctor who does the autopsy is this great actor whose name i'm sadly blanking on but he's on deadwood he plays uh hostetler it's like this dignified old black guy who runs a stable and like just he's sort of the locus for dealing with any all of the like racial animus in the camp of deadwood Sure. Uh, sure and he's just like he's just one of those guys who does a great job of playing super uh like sunken angriest you know large person who's like he's super sure. angry but he doesn't he's not going to do anything about it because of his circumstances mm-hmm. so he just sort of gets bigger but then moves more inward <laughs> with his rage and it's like yeah. this weird tension he, he does a great job with it um he plays the doctor who does the autopsy and okay. he does it mostly just like joking with himself <laughs> and mm-hmm. like just doing like great little riffs while he's cutting up the body or what's left of the body and talking into the tape recorder and goes like, in my medical opinion, this guy is dead as shit. Oh. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but at a certain point during the autopsy, he just stops and looks at Jason Voorhees' heart which is this giant engorged dark black organ that starts to beat on the autopsy table. And he's staring at this beating heart and he, I'm going to tell it to you the way I initially read it because the way I initially read it is the way I wish it had been. And I wish that it had followed from that. He's staring at this heart that starts beating again. It's from like the world's most notorious serial killer. And his heart is on your autopsy table beating And he makes a decision that the only thing he can do in this moment is grab that heart and eat it. 
<laughs> so he yes. grabs it and just bites into it Correct. and completely devours it. That's amazing. Now, it's amazing until the film sort of reveals that the heart was hypnotizing him to do that because that's how Jason was going to invade his body. And then the movie just gets dumb and boring and who cares. But for a second, I thought they were actually giving me this great actor performing a character who, when faced with true mystical evil, decides that the only way to deal with it is to use his teeth. (laughs) And tear it apart yeah. and ingest it immediately. Yeah. Like just yeah. makes a decision on the spot. And That's a I hero. Want to follow that character for the rest hero. of the movie. Yes. Um, so that the moment... rest of the movie could just be the court trial. You know. Oh, yeah, and it could just be hit like a just a portrait of the mind that would do that. And basically, <laughs> yeah. everybody who comes in contact with him on a, who are on a slow journey to realizing that they could never do what he did. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That's yeah. what the movie's about. Is about him just. It ends, it ends with them like, really sadly convicting him to go to prison, yeah. but they're all like, "You did the right thing," and I'm so sorry. Yeah, we have to incarcerate you for eating a dead and man's heart. And he's not like puffing himself up or talking about anything. He just yeah. is very matter of fact. Like it's what I, it was beating. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I had to do. Yeah, I I knew it in that moment, and I did it. Um. So yeah. So the the rest of the movie does not live up to that moment. But when that happened, because sure. I, I was almost turning off the movie already, just because That's it was incredible. so uncomfortable to look at. But then sure. when that happened, I was like, I'm gonna have to watch this entire film, and it might <laughs> be my new favorite film because that is an incredible yeah. choice. Yeah. He eats it with yeah. such ferocity too. He like tears <laughs> into it. It's like if a starving man suddenly got a Big Mac. He's just like, you just. He looks at it and he makes a decision, and then. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, the that's rest of the movie beautiful. is awful. Sure. Uh, and that's that's the catch up on my Halloween hangover. I'm I'm cured <laughs> of it. I haven't watched any horror films since. Uh, I mean, unless you count a little bit of Destroy All Monsters on Turner Classic Movies, but that's mainly that's, just like a charming little kid home. running around and thinking <laughs> yeah. about Godzilla. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. It. I'm. I'm cured. Uh, but I. I. I've now seen all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. <laughs> So next we have to do all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Okay. That's the only franchise that I've done. But it was eight years ago now. So. Yeah. Well, maybe next time you can just talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch anything, though. opening sequence pitch jason shoot me down on this uh but we start it's like uh i think this thing is set maybe in like a medium-sized like smallish city like not like a not like a city like where either of us lives but like you know like rural city i i first at ten thousand people i'm like Uh, right in my mind i've been imagining grand central station but i think that you're i think that's better Um, I I haven't been imagining it because I think it should happen there. It's just like whenever I think of like a lot of people interacting, that's what I assume. Yeah. Sorry, I punched my computer. That's cool. Um, Because I'm so angry. Yeah, so I'm imagining a thing on that scale. And in that, I feel like maybe the first one we see get infected uh, is like opening sequence is uh, small town mayor giving a speech. And it's like stomping or something. He's saying something and, and sort of midway through a sentence he he's like and where is sally 
de Neuve. And everyone's all everyone on his staff is like, what? And he's just like, <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay, all right. <laughs> and moves on with his speech. I like it too if, if it's revealed that that politician has like an impulse control problem, like he chases skirts or like yeah, drinks yeah, yeah. behind the desk or something. Yeah. Or like he's known for rambling. Like he can we can almost make him like a Trump esque figure of like yeah, like this just kind of thing off. wouldn't necessarily <laughs> you know being that noticeable because he's gonna be yeah. saying insane things no matter what. And you gonna even establish that with yeah. reporters showing up to be like, Oh man, you know, we always get great hits when he goes off on his rambles <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. you have a bunch of reporters who are just there to like get it down and get the hits and then one of them's like yeah. Wait, no, that was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than like, that's the name of things. a woman who lives in this town. <laughs> or not even, he could even just be, like, noticed that it was like, that was a different yeah. kind of ramble. That wasn't yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. Like, I've been covering yeah. him for a while, and then he, like, gets interested in, or he doesn't even have to be a reporter. We could have all the reporters sure. be completely, like, huh, yes, whatever, that's yeah. funny. And then somebody yeah. else from, like, a caterer or something be like, yes. I've worked... 15 of these events and yeah i know what his twitches sound like the other thing (laughs) you know that had a spark in it yeah i think that's actually the way to go is have it be somebody who's there but not somebody who would normally be considered important notice yeah yeah and pursue it just out of curiosity yeah yeah, because the journalist is like of course they're pursuing it right so and that also makes it somebody who sort of has access to things but is also peripheral yeah. So, like, they have the ability to go into places and investigate to a certain extent. Like, they have connections mm-hmm. and they know things, but they're not somebody who people will talk to because of who they are. They kind of have to, like, yeah. nibble at it around the edges. And so they're seeing this phenomenon happen sort of from the sidelines the same way that we mm-hmm. are because we're not following this consciousness go through people. We're, like, right. seeing it as it emerges in different spaces. Yeah. Um, and then they also have to make the decision of like, how much do I care about following this? Like, I'm not getting paid. This isn't yeah. my job. <laughs> Maybe I should yeah. just go and home. And my job doesn't pay that well anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I gotta know what this is. Yeah. I also, okay, further pitch, Jason. I think that we make this movie and then it becomes the jumping off point for a series about a caterer who, uh, who takes on private detective cases in their spare time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This also works well for your um, uh, casting strategies because it would be it just it, not that you can't do this with anybody, but it like <laughs> makes it if we're getting like funding for somebody, it makes it a really easy sure. argument for not casting a white guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I say like you can cast any character. <laughs> It's not a white guy, yeah. but if you're of talking to money, be like, no, 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 it has to be this way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, no, nah, it doesn't make any sense for it no, not to why be. be this? A 23-year-old Latina. Yeah, done. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, see, there, we found our we found our protagonist done. by figuring out <laughs> the first scene. Um, <laughs> or one of the early scenes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I, I, I'm assuming I like caterer just because I feel like I've never seen a movie where a caterer was a main character. Yeah. Or was a main character for I've doing anything other than catering. Dress up as caterers. Yeah. 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 
or like I've seen comedies about, or I don't know if I've even seen a comedy about catering, but I feel like probably that exists. I don't know, like Mystic Pizza. There was a TV show. There's a TV show about caterers. Or something like that. But this would be yeah. like caterer is your job, but you're getting to do a different yeah. adventure. Yeah, that's not. And what I you, agree, yeah. it should be a caterer who regularly just gets too curious about things that they witness yeah. <laughs> at these events because they're like going yeah. into these halls of power or different spaces and being completely ignored because they're a caterer. And yeah, they exactly. should just, just keep their nose out of it because they're not getting paid that's to investigate it, but they're too yeah. curious. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I like that character a lot. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I don't know what that character's called. Can 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 I pay Friedland? Yep, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Featuring music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tight Ship Records. Theme music by Soft Healer. Synesthesia wishes to apologize for the conversational turn at the Thanksgiving table. We didn't know when we brought it up that your uncle was married to one, and we are very embarrassed. We will do better. looks at it and he makes a decision and then